On today's episode, I will go over the Rockford Ice Hogs trailing two to nothing in their series with the Texas Stars, and I'll also get into Jason Dickinson's season recap segment. All that and plenty more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Monday, May 1st. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at Jack Bushman 2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And real quick, just a reminder that you can follow along or subscribe for free on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure to do that real quick. So that way you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each and every day. It only takes two seconds to show some support folks. And it really does help me out more than all of you know. So please take the time necessary in order to help grow the show. I greatly appreciate all of your support. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. As always, thank you all for joining me on another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks. And thank you all for making the show your very first listen here to start off your day, here to start off your week, and here to start off your May. Holy cow, is time flying by. We're already four months completed here in 2023. I can't believe it's already the month of May. Let's start off today's show with a quick update on the Rockford Ice Hogs and their Um, Central Division semifinal series with the Texas Stars. Games one and games two were held over the weekend. Of course, the Ice Hogs defeated the Texas Stars in the best of three playing series in order to get to this point. And they were trying to carry some of that momentum over to the early part of this series with the Texas Stars, which, by the way, both of the first two games came on home ice. They were held at the BMO Center in Rockford. So a massive opportunity for them to uh, get off to a good start to the Central Division semifinals. But unfortunately, the worst case scenario happened for the Ice Hogs over the weekend as they dropped both games on home ice, which now, of course, puts them in a huge hole, trailing two to nothing in the series, heading to Texas for the final three games. The Ice Hogs will have to win all three games on the road in order to stay alive in the Calder Cup playoffs. A really big gut punch for the Ice Hogs over the weekend. Game one, I mean, both of these games have been tightly contested matchups, just like we saw a lot in the regular season as well. These two teams were going at it, had to had a lot of close meetings. But so far, the difference maker has been Texas has had the finishing touch, and they've also been the ones to score all the goals in crunch time, it seems. And going back to game one, which was held on Friday night at the BMO Center, the Ice Hogs actually held a 3-2 to two lead with 17 minutes to go in that game. Joey Anderson tied the game 1-1 to one with two seconds left in the first period. DJ Buzdeker, uh scored a goal in the second. And then Bobby Lynch put the Ice Hogs ahead with a goal early on in the third period. But Texas wound up storming their way back. They tied the game with about 13 minutes left in the third period and then scored an absolute backbreaker 
with 3.38 left on the clock to go ahead. 4-3, to three, they wind up adding the empty netter to seal the deal and taking game one in Rockford by a score of 5-3. to three. And then yesterday, game two, back at the BMO Center for the Ice Hogs, basically a must win for them, knowing if they do lose, they'd have to go on the road for the final three games and they'd have to win each and every one of those games there. And just the finishing touch, the lack of the finished product really, really hurt the Ice Hogs yesterday. They didn't have a ton of sustained offensive zone pressure at even strength. Credit to Texas for making it very difficult for this Ice Hogs team to carry the puck into the offensive zone. They're making them chip and chase a lot, and they've been winning a lot of the battles and not letting the Ice Hogs cycle the puck around all that much at five on five. But the power play, the opportunities were there for the Ice Hogs in game two. They had four power play chances in the opening 40 minutes, plenty of good cracks to open the scoring for them, but they wind up failing to convert on all four of those man advantages, despite generating some pretty good looks. They also got a couple of unfortunate bounces off of the goalpost, both Alex Vlasic and Lucas Reichel drew iron within like five seconds of each other. They go 0 for 4 on the power play in the first two periods, while Texas on the other side wound up getting one past Soder Bloom in the first period, getting one past him as well in the second. They held a 2-0 lead going into the third period. The Ice Hogs did kind of make things interesting as Joey Anderson scored a goal from a tough angle to cut their deficit to 2-1. to one. But just like we saw in game one, the Stars were the ones who scored the goal in crunch time. Again, with just over three minutes left, they add a goal to give them a little bit of insurance. Going up 3-1, to one, the Ice Hogs could not find the back of the net. Once again, Texas goes and adds the empty netter for the 4-1 to one victory in Game 2 is the Ice Hogs. Yeah, now trail 2 to nothing after back-to-back losses on home ice, putting them in a real tough spot the rest of the way. Got to give credit to Matt Murray and that as well for Texas. Not the Matt Murray that won the Stanley Cup back-to-back years for the Pittsburgh Penguins, by the way. This is a different Matt Murray, who actually, I believe, made his NHL debut against the Blackhawks early on, earlier on in the season, if I'm correct. But yeah, he was a, a big difference maker for Texas in game two. The Ice Hogs were right there in terms of scoring chances and shots on goal. I mentioned they didn't have a ton of offensive zone time, but they did have good looks and they really needed to bury them in a pivotal game two. They weren't able to do so. They also got some unfortunate breaks off the goalpost. As I mentioned, uh, Lucas Reichel and Alex Vlasic, two posts in a quick span on the power play. Speaking of Lucas Reichel, by the way, another pretty absent night for him here in game two. And he actually was called out by head coach Anders Sorensen following game one for some inconsistent play. He wasn't really much of a factor in that play in series against the Iowa wild didn't impact the game much in game one. And then was, you know, not all that productive as well in game two, other than a couple of good flashes on the power play, but he needs to be um, more aggressive and more of an impact player for the Ice Hogs at even strength moving forward if they want any hope of marching back and winning the series because that top line of he, Joey Anderson, and Rocco Grimaldi has been far too quiet here in the Calder Cup playoffs. I know Joey Anderson has goals in back-to-back games, but Reichel really didn't influence either of those, and he's just not impacting the game 
enough for the talent that we know he has. So he definitely needs to pick up his play for game three for the Ice Hawks have any chance, as does the entire top six. It's not only the top line that's been pretty quiet. The second line of Gus, Sini, and Philp really hasn't done all that much, which is pretty disappointing because this top six on paper should be one of the best in the entire AHL, if I'm being honest. I mean, the addition of Rocco Grimaldi, a premier AHL player, they go and get Joey Anderson, who was looking good at the NHL level for the Blackhawks at the end of the season. Gus, Cini, Phil for all point-per-game guys at the AHL level, and they just haven't done enough through the first two games of the series. That's been a huge difference. Honestly, it's been the bottom six forward group for the Ice Hogs that's looked the best so far against Texas, especially that third line of Michael Tepley, DJ Busdecker, and uh, Buddy Robinson. They've drawn three or four penalties already in this series. Busdecker, of course, scored a goal in game one. So if we can get the top six going along with the bottom six, that would have all four lines rolling for the Ice Hogs. That's really what they need to happen for any chance of coming back. I also wanted to mention Jalen Lipen, Blackhawks 2021 seventh round pick, has looked pretty sharp in his first two games of AHL action with the Rockford Ice Hogs. He actually signed his entry-level contract with the Blackhawks last summer after a very productive season with the Edmonton Oil Kings of the WHL. They had an unbelievable roster last year. Lipen was a big part of their success. He signs as ELC. I honestly thought he was going to make the jump to professional hockey and play for Rockford this year, but he suffered an injury, missed a decent chunk of the season in the WHL. He was actually traded to the Tri-City Americans, wound up being a point-per-game guy for them in 38 games this year. And then once their season wrapped up, News broke that he was going to join the Ice Hogs, and he winds up getting in there for the first time in game one of this series against Texas. And he's an intriguing type of player with the speed that he provides, the energy, the hustle. He's kind of a guy who can provide you with a little bit of everything and has drawn some comparisons to Brandon Hegel when he first arrived on the scene for the Chicago Blackhawks. And look, I don't know if Leipzig's ever going to be a 30-goal scorer at the NHL level like we're seeing out of Brandon Hagel with Tampa Bay this season, Um, but there are some similarities that are undeniable in their games. Fast skating guys who can, you know, impact the game on the forecheck, force turnovers, are scrappy, um, good, good skating ability, like I mentioned, good game and hockey IQ. So yeah, I'm definitely uh, intrigued by Jalen Lipe and someone who's kind of sneakily crawled up the Blackhawks prospect rankings. He's had a pretty good showing in his first two games. And I also think Arvid Soderbloom has been just fine in net. You really can't blame any of these losses on him, especially game two where the Ice Hogs go over four on the man advantage. They punted away all of their best scoring opportunities. And that's put them in a real tough spot now after back-to-back losses on home ice trailing two to nothing. They'll have a do or die must win Game three on Wednesday night down in Texas as the series shifts down to the south for the remainder of these games. We'll see if the Ice Hogs have what it takes in order to march back from this 2-0 deficit. All right, there are my thoughts on the Ice Hogs' pair of losses over the weekend to the Texas Stars. Coming up in just a minute, I will get into forward Jason Dickinson's season recap segment. But first, I need to talk to you all about Indeed. And no matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed 
for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash LockedOn. Offers valid through May 31st. So go to Indeed.com slash LockedOn to claim your $75 credit before May 31st. Indeed.com slash LockedOn. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Before I go and get into segment two, I want to let you all know about all of the great stuff that I have planned for the next handful of weeks here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Of course, as I've already mentioned, I'm about to get into Jason Dickinson's season recap segment here in just a moment. I've also already gone over Andreas Athanasiu. Connor Murphy, Seth Jones, and Tyler Johnson seasons. If you haven't watched those already, make sure to go and click on my YouTube channel to watch those segments. I've already got everything time-coded in the video description, so you can quickly jump through each video and get all caught up real fast. And I also, of course, had interviews recently with Rockford Icehawks players Alec Regula and Ryder Rolston. Make sure to go and watch those interviews if you haven't done so already. And a quick spoiler alert, I'm going to be having a conversation with forward Joey Anderson here on Lockdown Blackhawks sometime here soon. So make sure to have your eyes peeled for that interview. I also, uh, of course, recently sat down with Charlie Romeliotis of NBC Sports Chicago for a great offseason conversation on all things Blackhawks. Go and check that out if you haven't as well. And I plan on having a similar conversation with WGN's Joe Brand sometime in the next couple of weeks. And then as we're just seven days away from the 2023 NHL draft lottery, I'll get into my draft profiles starting here soon. I'll also take a look at some free agent targets for the Chicago Blackhawks. And then my end of the season Blackhawks top 10 prospects list will be starting up sometime soon as well. So plenty of great things planned for the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast here in the next month or two. Honestly, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel to stay up to date on all of that good stuff. All right, moving on into segment two, let's go and get into 27-year-old forward Jason Dickinson's season recap segment. And Dickinson, of course, was acquired by the Blackhawks right before the start of the season, along with a 2024 second round pick in exchange for Riley Stillman, who in his time with the Blackhawks was always kind of a tweener fringe sixth, seventh defenseman really struggled to kind of solidify himself as an everyday NHL or sure he'd have some flashes, but then he'd also have some down spots and there just wasn't a lot of consistency there. And for the Blackhawks to move Stillman and get a 2024 second round pickup, a pick that could wind out working out for the Blackhawks really well if they, you know, continue drafting how they did in the 2022 NHL draft. Got some pretty good second and third round picks there, might I add. And then they also got Jason Dickinson, who, look, maybe his value on this Blackhawks team isn't exactly maximized because he feels like one of those bottom six players that you throw on a Stanley Cup contender in. 
you know, they'll really love to have him. He does all the little things well. He's defensively responsible. He's versatile, can play the center or the wing. Not an offensive dynamo by any means, but can chip in from time to time. Uh, Plays the right style of hockey as a veteran, has good experience under his belt. And for the Blackhawks to get that type of player and a second round pick for Riley Stillman, I mean, that's a trade we seriously are going to look back at possibly. I mean, we're already looking at it from a very positive lens, but depending on who that draft pick could be, could be quite a steal for Blackhawks GM Kyle Davidson. Uh, I don't know if Dickinson's ever going to, if he's still going to be here in Chicago to kind of reap the benefits of this rebuild. He's, like I said, just kind of a, a, a fringe player where you're not really getting the most out of him in a situation like this. But if he were playing for a competing team, you feel like that's where he'd really be mac- maximized. But I'll tell you what, Jason Dickinson came into not an ideal situation, a rebuilding team on the third line. And he brought hard work and hustle and the right mindset and the right way to go about the game for that role each in every day. And I'll tell you what, he found a lot of success along the way and set a lot of career highs across the board in offensive categories. Played in 78 games for the Blackhawks this season, which was a career high. And I'm pretty sure he missed the first two or three games of the season while he was uh, traveling to the team and practicing and getting everything situated and to get ready for game action. So basically once he joined the Blackhawks, he was in the lineup every night playing in 78 out of the 82 games. Great to see Jason Dickinson stay healthy. The Blackhawks honestly needed it. Um, A lot of bodies dropping this season, especially in the second half. It got thin. We saw Dickinson elevated up to the top six because of that. Um, so good on Dickinson for being able to stay healthy. And yeah, like I said, a lot of career highs offensively across the board, nine goals for him this year, which tied a career high going back to 2019, 20, when he was a member of the Dallas stars, he tallied 21 assists, which was a career high and 30 points, which is a career high as well as previous was 22. So exceeded that previous mark by a pretty good margin there for Jason Dickinson. And like I said, he's not an offensive wizard. He's not a guy you can really rely on to score, but um, when he's got it going, I'll talk about this a little bit later. He's kind of a streaky offensive player, but when he has it going, he can be someone who can make a difference offensively in the bottom six. And that's what you need on good teams. If you can get added offense from your bottom two lines, that's a Huge advantage throughout the course of the game. So good to see Dickinson make the most of his opportunity here in Chicago and kind of prove general manager Kyle Davidson right by taking a flyer on him worth the contract that he's getting paid. Maybe not necessarily for uh, a contending team, but, you know, the impact is undeniable that Jason Dickinson had this year and kind of some of the other statistics too put up some really sharp numbers. He shot 7.9% kind of below average for him. His career average is 8.6. If he actually had shot a career average, I bet he would have set a new career high in terms of goals. Uh, Average 15 minutes and 56 seconds of time on ice was pretty locked in to the third line for the Blackhawks until post-trade deadline where we saw Jason Dickinson as the first line center and the second line center. Um, Yeah, obviously that's not a role that he's going to be playing elsewhere, but he does have the capability to surprise you with some offense every now and again. He also tallied 112 hits in his 78 games. Not an overly physical guy, but enough there just to be 
rugged against his opponents and make life difficult for them, which you like to see out of a third liner. He also blocked 80 shots in his 78 games played, and I'd expect a large amount of those came while the Blackhawks was, were shorthanded. He was a huge part of the Blackhawks' penalty kill all season long, and he actually had some awesome chemistry with Sam Lafferty when he was still here and was a huge reason why Lafferty had four shorthanded goals before being dealt to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So those two were a pretty awesome one-two punch for the Blackhawks penalty kill. But Dickinson was a willing uh, recipient of shot blocks all season long. Uh, uh, not a, a guy that's you know going to be in the headlines of the newspapers, but every single team, whether you're good or whether you're bad, you're going to need guys that are going to be willing to sacrifice and put the body on the line. Jason Dickinson did that all season long while the Blackhawks were shorthanded. As I mentioned earlier as well, he was versatile, played on the wing when Sam Lafferty was around and then kind of got shifted back to center for the second half of the season, mostly won 47.7% of his draws. So not great, not terrible, but capable of stepping in there and filling the role. He also, uh, had 54 takeaways, which is a new career high as well. Just wanted to throw that out there for the defensive-minded Dickinson, giving him all the positive defensive stats I can for a guy like him. And then in terms of the analytics, kind of some interesting numbers here, but I'll break them all down a little bit further as I go through. So Dickinson had a 42.0 Corsi 4 percentage this season. Not all that great, but also not all that surprising considering the role that he played for the Blackhawks a third-line wing, third-line center, out there on the penalty kill, getting a lot of def defensive responsibilities against some of the opponent's top lines. And Dickinson actually had a 63.8 defensive zone starting percentage this season. So Coach Luke Richardson mostly used him in a defensive role. And because of that, I think that's why the Corsi percentage wasn't all that great for Dickinson, even though he did have some, you know, all right, offensive numbers. And he was also on the ice for 47 goals for at, uh, not at even strength, excuse me, in all situations this season compared to 101 against. Now, at first glance, it's a 54 goal differential. It's more goals for than Dickinson was on the ice this season. It's a pretty large gap. But remember, this was in all situations. The Blackhawks were not that good of a penalty kill squad this season. Um, that goes into part of this. And then also when Dickinson was out there, it was mostly against, you know, top six lines. He was a defensive-minded center, and he was starting in the defensive zone. Another part of this that I think does, does make an impact is the save percentage for the Blackhawks goaltenders when Jason Dickinson was on the ice was 86.1% this season. 86.1%. That is putrid. And now, look, you can maybe frame that as, well, it's solo because Dickinson was – you know, leaving his guys all alone. And there were always glaring holes defensively when he was on the ice. No, if you watch Jason Dickinson, that wasn't the case. Sure. He had, you know, lapses from time to time, but um, it, it wasn't like he was a plague for this Blackhawks defensively. So I really do think that save percentage played an impact on why his analytics don't look all that good. But I thought there was certainly value there for Jason Dickinson defensively and, you know, for what he chipped in on the offensive side of things for this Blackhawks squad as well. It might not get recognized as much as it would on a Stanley Cup contender, but I do think there is still a lot of value to what Jason Dickinson provides. Hard-nosed, hard-working, bottom-six grinder, a guy who will block shots out there on the penalty kill and goes about his business the right way good veteran leader for this Blackhawks squad in the time of this rebuild. So all things considered, I'm going to give Jason Dickinson 
a flat B for his performance this season. And I mentioned earlier, kind of some up and down offensive numbers for Dickinson. I wanted to get in this real quick. It was a season of heaters for Jason Dickinson. If you all remember his first nine games with the Blackhawks, he actually started off on a torrid pace, four, th- four goals and three assists for seven points in his first nine games with the Blackhawks and was looking awesome. But then he didn't score a goal from November 4th to January 20th, over two months for Jason Dickinson between goals, a 31-game goal drought. But then once he did finally break through, he went on and tallied four goals and three assists for seven points in his next six games. So lots of ups and downs. He also then didn't score a goal from February 7th until March 6th and went on to have six points in the final 11 games of the season when he was elevated to the top six. So truly a lot of ups and downs for Jason Dickinson this season. But like I said, I I do think the value was there. I think a B is a pretty fair grade for what he provided this Blackhawks team all season long while being healthy. It seemed like everyone who voted on Twitter and on Instagram kind of agreed with my assessment as well, which is always good to see. I know I've given out three Bs already, three flat Bs in my first five grades, but I do think each of them have been deserved. And out of the 103 voters on Twitter, 62% of you all voted for a B, 18% voted for a C, 18% also voted for an A, only 2% voted for a D or an F for Dickinson. I don't think that makes sense at all. Um, And then 67% of the voters voted for a B on Instagram. By the way, make sure to follow at Talking Hockey on Twitter to give your two cents on each of these players that I'll be reviewing as part of my season recap segment. Got 103 voters on Twitter. We had 185 for Seth Jones. So let's try to get those numbers up a little bit for the next one. And then also make sure to follow Lockdown Blackhawks on Instagram as well, because I'm going to be having a giveaway sometime here on the show. I'm going to be giving away some good free stuff. And I know you'll have to be following Lockdown Blackhawks on Instagram in order to qualify. So make sure to do all of that good stuff real quick, folks. Give me your two cents on all of these polls. I really like interacting and seeing what everyone thinks compared to my opinions on all of these Blackhawks players. All right, before I wrap up today's show, folks, we still have to get into our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. First question that I'm going to answer comes from Hockey Tyler 21 on Twitter, who asked, "Would you who would you draft at number five if the top four goes as predicted?" So I think it's pretty clear cut at this point that uh, Counter Bedard and Adam Fantilli are going one and two. Sounds like Leo Carlson has kind of made the bump up and is the number three at this point of time. But Matvey Michkov is going to be the interesting one, and I really do think it's going to depend on how the draft lottery all shakes out because out of this top group, Matvey Michkov was the number three for quite a while and even gave Adam Fantilli a run for his money there at number two. But it sounds like there are some concerns, kind of like there always is with high Russian prospects in the NHL draft, of the potential of them staying over in Russia or over in Europe for a couple of years. That could potentially sway a couple of teams in a different direction, but we heard general manager Kyle Davidson kind of hint that he wouldn't be opposed to drafting Mitchkov if he would be available for them. So we'll have to see how everything shakes out. I really do think that's going to play a huge part is what teams get slotted where, obviously. Um, but if the Blackhawks do wind up at number five and the top four are uh, Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Mitchkov, personally, I think the Blackhawks should take Will Smith, who just put up 
unbelievable numbers for the United States development team, like world-breaking numbers for the development team, and also was just a monster for the United States at the U18 World Championships to help them win the gold medal, had a hat trick in the semifinal game. He's going to Boston College next year. Some decent size, six foot, 180 pounds, but I'll tell you what, this kid looks like, you know, if this were a different draft makeup and wasn't so deep, he could be a top three pick. He's really stood out to me and what I saw him do at the World Championships kind of has me to believe that he's going to be the one that's in the lead to go fifth in terms of uh, the latest mock drafts. Zach Benson is someone who's also right there for the number five spot he's put up. Some really good numbers for the Winnipeg Ice of the WHL the last few years. He had 98 points in 60 games this year. But I'll tell you what, I'm personally leaning Will Smith if the Blackhawks are on the clock at number five. Seeing what he did for the development program where the Blackhawks have strong ties to. Um, also, he's going to be going to a, a good program. I don't know. For seeing what he just did for the United States at the World Championships, it would be hard-pressed to pass on Will Smith in favor of Zach Benson. So that's who I would go with at number five if that's where the Blackhawks wind up. The next question I'm going to answer here comes from Peter Blurting, who emailed in the podcast and asked, when are the Blackhawks going to be in the market for a big-name free agent signing again? Until that happens, this team isn't going to make the leap they need. Remember the Hosa signing? I sure do. That put us over the hump. When will that stuff happen again? I think the earliest possibility for it to happen is next season. Look, I just talked with Charlie Meliotis from NBC Sports Chicago. I expected it to go this way when I asked him it, but I asked if the Blackhawks, you think, would change, have a change in mindset in terms of free agency if they get a Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli, but I just don't see them rushing through anything. They've been so patient throughout this entire process thus far. I unfortunately don't see them even being in the conversation to sign a big name free agent. And this is if all goes well next season, it's probably going to be a couple of years for the Blackhawks. They don't want to give out any bad term until they know exactly what they have and what they need to do and how far away they are from that competitive window. They're still kind of too early in this rebuilding process to have all of those answers. So I know it's not fun sitting back on July 1st and watching everyone else seemingly make big moves, but it's actually not the worst thing in the world for the Blackhawks considering where they're at. They need to be patient. They want roster flexibility. They need to see how some of their prospects are shaking out and then they can kind of pursue what they need in free agency. But at this point in time, it still looks like they need a lot. So they don't really know truthfully what the next pieces of the puzzle they'll need in order to um, kind of take that next leap to be serious contenders. But make no mistake about it. They're going to have to be aggressive on the market at some point here. I just don't see it being until probably 2025, if I'm being honest. That's when I'd expect the Blackhawks to make their next big splash in free agency is probably the summer of 2025. All right, I think that is going to wrap up Monday, May 1st's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you all again for tuning into the show and make sure to follow Lockdown Blackhawks for free wherever you listen to your podcasts and go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube. And that way you can get the latest episode as soon as it's available each and every day. Once again, I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. So until tomorrow's episode, that's going to do it here for the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.